0: you're listening to grace and fire brought to you by emerging women today my guest is jane miller jane miller ceo and founder of jane knows a career advice website has spent three decades in the corporate world for the past 20 years she's become the highest ranking woman in every company she's worked in including pepsi Heinz, Rudy's Bakery, and others. Now, she's written a how-to for millennials also wanting to make it to the top. It's called Sleep Your Way to the Top and Other Myths About Business Success. Her new book is the go-to guide for grads, pre-grads, and new executives, showing where it's easy to get tripped up, who might trick us, and how to make it past the pitfalls on our way to the corner office. In today's episode... Jane and I spoke about women in the corporate arena and what challenges they face, myths about business success, having confidence, and knowing what fills your cup, how to deal with difficult people in the business world, Jane's business dark night of the soul and how she got through it, and finally, the one thing women can do to increase personal power and influence in the world. Here is my conversation, Sleep Your Way to the Top and other myths about business success with the accomplished and inspirational Jane Miller. Hello, welcome Jane.
1: So excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Great, so good to have you. I think the best way for us to start, just so people have context about how amazing you are, could you give us a little bit about your background and what the significant sort of emergencies or milestones that
1: have led you to be where you are today? Great. Well, if, uh, if you'll indulge me, and I'll try not to make this too long, I think uh, to understand a little bit about my success in business, I have to go back to my beginnings. I'm uh, from Peoria, Illinois, and my mother got pregnant with me when she was uh, a girl, and I was the first of four kids. And so my mother was a stay-at-home mom for a number of years until my dad uh, left us. And back in the day, I, you could be a deadbeat dad, and so all of a sudden my mother was uh, quite young, with four young children, uh, no education other than high school, no work experience whatsoever. And it really uh, drove her to have, at any one time, three low-paying jobs. So she was the gal that answered the uh, 911 calls from like 11 at night till 6 in the morning. She was the gal that cleaned bedpans in the nursing home. She was the gal that drove the school bus and, you know, really kind of all at one time. And so I think um she really formed for me at a very early age that to have options in life one must have a great education and not be put in a situation uh, like she was where she was really really struggling and really depending on me to help watch my little brothers who were ten years younger and also uh, bring in income for the family and I think that forms so much about who I was and I was so um, and who I've become and I'm so fortunate because I think a lot of young girls in my situation their mother would have wanted them to stay home with them to help take care of the bills and help take care of the littler kids uh, in the household and my mom because of the background that she had believed so firmly that I had to change my circumstance. Mm -hmm. And again, the only way to do that was to go to college. So I guess as a starting point, um, knowing that that's kind of where I began would really sort of help form uh, the success I've had in business. And she was,
0: how old was she when she had you? She was uh, 19. Okay. And then three other kids starting at 10 years. I mean, that's amazing. I feel like we need to do a podcast
1: with her. (laughs) yeah so my mom has definitely had a uh, um, she's definitely had a really difficult life and interestingly none of my three brothers who are younger than me none of them went on to college they all like my mother got their um, uh, girlfriends and then spouses pregnant and sort of kind of continued the the same sort of um, trajectory that my mother was on
0: wow okay so that's certainly some context
1: and i guess i can just sort of launch from there i yeah. i um uh actually so i went to uh, i got an undergraduate degree um in russian studies uh which for anyone who's listening if you have a, a degree that you don't uh, know if you're ever going to get a job i promise you it isn't about the degree <laughs> it's about the experiences that you create in your life and i actually did that because i was good at languages and i wanted to go into law school but as my uh my path would sort of lead me i was uh, uh lucky enough to uh, take the GMAT and the LSAT, and I scored mediocre on the LSAT and really great on the GMAT for some reason, and ended up getting a full scholarship to go to Southern Methodist uh, University in, mm-hmm. in uh, Dallas to get my MBA. So what I would have thought was my track uh, as a young girl, which was to be a lawyer, which I would have been a terrible lawyer, so I'm really glad that I didn't go that mm-hmm. way. I uh, actually got on the business track, and I uh, got my MBA from SMU, and then uh, really started my career... Uh, um, with Frito-Lay shortly uh, thereafter, which launched uh, the last 30 plus years of being mainly in the food business.
0: And then recently, well, recently, I think it's been several years now, but you basically made Rudy's Bakery, you took them to a sale, am I right? That was under your CEO ship. And that was uh, in this area. And I think nationwide in the food industry was kind of a big acquisition. So I think that you know, really also puts into context your career. And now, can you tell us a little bit now? Because I know you're working in investing, which is also very interesting.
1: Yeah, so I guess the the, the short story of my career was about 25 years all with big consumer products companies like Pepsi and Heinz Mm -hmm. and Hostess. And then, as you said, I was running something called uh, Rudy's Organic Bakery, which was a national um, organic uh, company based here in Boulder, kind of an industry icon because it's been around since 76. Mm-hmm. And it was sold to a strategic about a year ago. And in the course of the last year, I've been just kind of doing all kinds of things. I have a book that's out, and I've been doing some speaking on that. I have been doing a ton of mentoring with young companies, uh, mainly here in the Boulder area. I've been uh, um, teaching a class at uh, the University of Colorado in the business minor, which has been a whole new thing. And then, to your point, I've gotten involved uh, with a local investment group to start uh, um, exploring some ways to support women, uh, women-owned women businesses, and we're kind of working on that. And, and uh, as of the last few weeks, I'm actually considering jumping back into another CEO role with a early-stage startup. So it's, uh, it's really been like a tapestry the last year of all kinds of, uh, of interesting experiences.
0: Wow, I didn't know that about the CEO role. That's so exciting. Let's start a little bit with the book. And then we can I really want to hear more about the investing and what you see the landscape is for women. But there's so many places here that we want to go. But could you just help us a little bit with what you have seen both in your personal life, and also with women in the corporate arena as they become leaders? What do you think is their biggest obstacle right now and how has that changed versus 10 years ago and even 20 years ago? Well,
1: it's such an interesting question because I think there's uh, it, it ties actually quite a bit to my book and why I wrote it and so let me sort of start with the end in mind which is unfortunately I think so many of the issues today that women are faced with are the same ones that they were faced with 10 years ago and the same ones that I was faced with when I started my career and I think that that is the core of the issue that we're working with, and I'll, I'll address that in more specifics in a second. But that was really the um, the impetus for me writing my book, which is what I felt was even though technology has changed dramatically and the job landscape has changed, what hasn't changed is the environment that we work in and the people that we work with, and the. The mean people, the people that want power, the people that um, are not great leaders. I mean, kind of all of the soft skills that I think really lead to a successful career, much much more so than the technical skills or background that you have. Mm-hmm. And what I feel that is that um, probably one of the biggest barriers for women today, as when I started my career, Is getting honest feedback on how you interact with people and how you represent yourself. Mm -hmm. And so much I think happens in so many women's careers where nobody tells them what they're doing right or wrong from a communication standpoint. And Mm -hmm. to me, this is the fundamental thing that we really need to address um, in the work world today is honest feedback so people can make the decision or women specifically about whether they want to change their styles or not change their styles. But I think a lot of times we are getting derailed because there are sort of um, very subtle nuances about what organizations expect for us, which is much more than do you have an MBA from SMU and do you have this kind of particular work experience in accounting or marketing or sales?
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, I totally agree with you on the feedback, but it's also – especially when women are a minority in the field, like tech, it's not a safe place for feedback often. And I guess the question is, like, how does, you know, especially with women, it's like damned if you speak up, damned if you don't speak up. And so creating a system or a community or some kind of mentorship, where you can get honest and safe feedback that you can rely upon, I think, is also difficult and tricky. And I'm wondering if you have any
1: thoughts about that? Well, I think you what you're saying is really dead on. And, and I think, you know, that there are the stereotypes that exist today that, you know, you're either a Barbie or a bitch, uh, mm-hmm. you know, are old time stereotypes. And I think you're right in tech and gosh, you know, how much is there in the news today about that <laughs> without having to reiterate about yeah. some things that are happening in Silicon Valley. And I think you're right. You need to definitely have a safe place to get it. And I think this is really, is probably the crux of the answer, which is how do you provide um, uh, an environment and cultures of mentorship? And it can't just be women mentoring women because there's too many uh, industries and companies, as you're talking about, that don't have enough women to be mentors. And right. we've got to get men on the program to see the value of, of having really fabulous women and the diversity that of thought and action that we provide and have them be part of that mm-hmm. versus sort of the school of hard knocks, I right. would say.
0: Well, it's interesting because your book is called Sleep Your Way to the Top and Other Myths About Business Success. And it's quite funny. I really have enjoyed it and I've used it. Tons of exercises that, as I emailed you, I used on the spot. And I'm curious to see like why this approach? And, you know, what drew you to name the book in this way?
1: Well, it is funny, because uh, most people only see the title Sleep Your Way to the Top and not the subtitle and, and other myths about business success. And I get sort of two reactions. One is, the, the, the funny one where someone gets the joke and the other is sort of this almost like, oh my god, how can you be, you know, supporting women sleeping their way to the top in this day and oh, age, right. you know? So it's a very, it's very polarizing in some ways, but it really came from a simple truth, which is in our careers, I believe that confidence is the key thing that allows us to be successful. If you had to have one attribute that a person would have, it's about personal, confidence. Mm -hmm. And what happened to me early in my career was I made a shift from marketing to moving out into a general management role. And I was the first woman ever from marketing to make a move like that. And it was uh, a very coveted role. And men were in all but one of the positions. And when I got the position, the rumor went around that I must have slept with somebody to get the job. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was, you know, I was, um, gosh, I think 31 years old, something like that, 32. Mm -hmm and it was devastating to me because i i couldn't believe that somebody would think that that was how i would get ahead mm-hmm. and as a very you know confident young woman it was really uh, something that that could have easily derailed me thinking that everybody was thinking that sort of thought and so mm-hmm. it always stayed in the back of my mind that if i ever were to write a book that i would want to use that as the title because it's such an obvious myth That you can actually sleep your way to the top. I mean, if you could, I mean, we'd all be doing it all the time, right? I mean, if that was the easiest way to do it, why not? (laughs) No kidding, right? Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) If it was just that. But unfortunately, as I kind of talk about in my book, it actually has exactly the opposite effect that, Mm -hmm. um, when you actually, you know, kind of go down that path, it doesn't help you at all. In fact, it sort of diminishes your uh, capability. So the theme, one of my themes in my book is the key theme is about, um, creating your serendipity, which is making your own luck in your career and how much of our career we really control. But really integrally um, involved with that is this concept of confidence and feeling good about the decisions you make. And in this case of the rumor that went around um, when I got promoted, you know, it was pretty much quickly dispelled because my team got great results and it was sort of a thing of the past, but it was still an ugly little rumor that I had to contend with. And I think in this day and age, uh, there still are the same kind of evil sort of thoughts and rumors that go around when people have had success
0: that mm-hmm. um, others covet. Mm-hmm you talk about your zone, getting into your zone in the book. And this is something I think for women too, because we are so overextended. Whether or not we have kids, uh, I think we just take on a lot of, you know, running the household and a lot of nurturing in other places. If it's not kids, it's our parents. And so I'm curious to see, you know, what you have to say on that, especially for people who are feeling overwhelmed with working the extra hours to keep up and to you know, make the move and to overcome the obstacles that women usually face in the executive arena.
1: Well, I think first of all, you're dead on about um, talking about how we, uh, you know, I think as a gender, kind of overextend ourselves, and 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 it isn't just about having kids or a spouse. There are a lot of other obligations, as you said, and and some of uh, some of us have, you know, are juggling all of those. You have all those plates in there. Yeah, as, and
0: we want to be perfect, time. and all of this. Yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I, and I really kind of characterize that as one of the key things I talk about and in, in when I talk to groups of people is, is dispelling the myth about needing to be a superhero or a superwoman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we run into is as a woman, instead of um, uh, sort of looking at my own priorities and what's most important in my life, What I find is I want to be as beautiful as you and I want to be as smart as somebody else and I want to be as rich as somebody else. And I compare myself to someone who is the best in all of these different fields. Like I need to be that best person. And I think a lot of us as women sort of lose perspective of what we're really good at and what we love and are trying to be this perfect person and are trying to be this superhero and actually kind of forget what's important to us, but instead say what's important to my spouse or what's important to my parents or what's important to my kids Mm -hmm. as opposed to starting with yourself. And I guess, I mean, there's, you know, this is probably the toughest thing for any of us to kind of grapple with, which is what are the right priorities and when, and they change. I mean, when I was in my 20s, My priorities were very different. They are now that I'm in my 50s. I mean, they're not, it's like I'm a totally different person just because of where I'm at in my life. And I think, you know, to me, one of the key things about being in your zone is really understanding what's important to you and how you focus on that and realize that, you know, it, you know, there may be a few women that can do it all and, you know, God bless them. But most of us have to prioritize. We just can't do it all and we have to do, I think, the things that um, fill, I, I kind of always say fill my cup, that there's a lot of things in life that sort of drain you. But what are you doing that sort of fills this cup that gives you the energy to take care of the things that really drain you? So in my life right now, my mother's quite ill. And so it, it's—you know it takes a lot out of you to be the caregiver of someone who's got a lot of health issues. So I try to make sure I balance that kind of drain on my life with doing things that I really love, you know, like mentoring young people, teaching at the University of Colorado, you know, things that, um, that allow me to, to feel like I'm, um, focused on the priorities that are important to me now.
0: Mm -hmm. And also, you know, the thing about your zone is it just feels like, I wonder if there's also a mindset of, I, on one hand I'm like, oh, stay positive. Like I can't, you know, stand that.
1: Um, Right. Right? I mean,
0: you know, I don't want to always be thinking negative thoughts, but I also, you know, God, just the gymnastics around staying positive, just I get exhausted from that. But are there other mindsets that you found helpful to kind of stay in that zone, especially when you're dealing with something so difficult, like taking care of your mother, and you're involved in investing, and you're about to take on another CEO role, and you're a mentor to me and other women. So you are out there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, probably not any more so than anybody else because, yeah, it is I, – I think that that maybe the the best piece of advice I would have there is, is really to focus on your strengths. You know, that sounds so simple, but I think, again, um, I know when I was early in my career, I got a lot of advice like, hey, Jen, you do these things well, but if you could do these things, great, too – you know, you'd be the super well-rounded person, you know, again, this sort of superhero uh, kind of mentality. Right. And I don't believe that at all. I think that if you're focused on the things that you're great at, yeah. then it'll come out in everything you do and that kind of energy will, will really be spread to others. And you're right, you can't always be like, let's just be super positive all the time because that's just not realistic. Right. Um, but I do think if you're focusing on the stuff you love versus the stuff you don't love, mm-hmm. there will be a positiveness that will, that will just sort of... Um, uh exude from you because you're doing things that you're good at mhm it sounds too simple, doesn't it? <laughs> no, well, yes. <laughs> no, but it's,
0: it's, it's really good. I think, you know, there's just a learning curve with even identifying that, especially when you're on the, you know, when you're climbing in your career, or you're an entrepreneur, you kind of want to just do everything. And I think women want to be good at everything so that they don't fail. And, but I do think that just taking some time and navigating the inner landscape on how I'm reacting to this skill or that skill, and we may be good at stuff that we don't like. That's another pitfall I feel that I fall into that doesn't give us that juice to handle the stuff that's more difficult. But no, I think you're right on focusing on the strengths and taking the time to actually reflect on what those are, especially when you're early in your career. That's when I got it a lot where I was just so eager. It wasn't until like I was in my late 30s where I started thinking about like, what am I good at? And what, you know, does nourish me? And so...
1: Well, I think that, I think that your observation is really the right one. I mean, I think taking, I think taking the time to reflect on what's important to you and what you're good at, I think a lot of women just don't do that. You know, we're so busy. And, you know, your days are just so filled with activities. It's almost like you, you know, you could just kind of bounce from one thing to another. And I think taking that personal time and maybe whether it's if you're doing yoga or if you like to hike or just carving out the time like you would carve out time to take a kid to the soccer game or you carve out time you know, to cook uh, dinner or, you know, host, uh, you know, your friends or whatever, but almost really just setting that time aside, uh, like it's a meeting, (laughs) you know, where you sort of say, this is what I've got to do is this is going to be enough of a priority that I put it on my list of things to do. And don't just sort of say, oh, I'll get to that, you know, when I have a free weekend, because you'll never get to that.
0: Right. So true. Let's take a turn here. And let's talk about You have like a couple of chapters, and I really appreciate these chapters on difficult people, both in terms of bosses, and you have a whole chapter on bullies and evil people. I'm curious to see, you know, what your thoughts are on that. And I'm so glad you're really talking about it. I know that there are a lot of people who have encountered bullies, especially in the workplace, um, or as entrepreneurs, and no one talks about it. So thank you.
1: Well, you know, and again, thank you, thank you for recognizing that because I do think, um, you know, the funny thing about writing a book is, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So I, you know, may come across like I'm really insightful on in this stuff. It's because I have made every mistake along the way yeah. <laughs> and how I reacted with people. So it's super easy then to come back and go, "Hell, oh, I wish if you know this is how you should really react because I didn't do it the right way." And I do think um, that that is one of our, our challenges in the workplace because we'd like to think everybody is, you know, wonderful and warm and engaging and supportive. But the fact of the matter is that there are people, you know, that that generally in whatever field you're in, power is a key common denominator that people want power because power means that you're in control and people want to be in control. And I think, you know, really trying to, in my book, outline sort of what to look for when you see a bully or a horrible boss, and sort of the characteristics and how you respond to that, um, which is you know generally the couple of just the key rules are um, to not take things personally, which is so different than most of the advice we generally get in our careers, which is take everything personally. And I think what I've experienced in a number of very difficult situations was I questioned myself, mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, wait a minute, this person's just a jerk. <laughs> this isn 't about me, this is about them, and really being able to have that sort of insight that um, you know i'm being be, be, be self aware enough to you know understand if you 're part of the problem, but once you kind of get past that and you sort of say, "Wait a minute, this is about this person, and he would he 's going to act like this regardless of what I do and not feel like you know that you 're always in this knee jerk reaction and trying to um, accommodate yourself to someone who is mean or political or in some way, you know, trying to demean your own power.
0: Right. But how do you, and yes, number one, don't take it personally. Okay. But how do you also work around this? Because a lot of times these people have power and influence over us in the workplace. I mean, I, I've also encountered this when I was in medical devices, I had this. And, you know, it's difficult. How do you navigate that?
1: Well, I think uh, what is difficult and I, and I think the um, probably the best piece of advice I have there is after not taking it personally on how to handle it and how to navigate it, is to stick to the facts because most of these personality types, like bullies as an example, they are trying to get you to engage in their game, and it becomes a sort of a battle of passion or becomes very emotional. And the more that you get sucked into an emotional conversation with somebody, the, uh, the less credible you come across. And again, going back to some of the points about stereotyping women, I think this is where a lot of times we get off track because someone will kind of pull us in and if we, be- and I know early in my career I was super emotional. I mean, almost in every situation I did take personally and literally if something didn't go my way, I just wanted to cry. And right. it was so hard to kind of overcome that kind of thing, because I did take things, as I said, so personally. So to me, if there was one piece of advice for, you know, for your listeners is to say, how do you always try to default to the facts? Because facts actually give you so much more power than emotions, trying to get into the fray with somebody and um, um, become more and more escalated around emotions versus saying, all right, let's just kind of come back to what are the facts that we're dealing with here. And again, you know, this is very simplified and every situation is different. But I have found that with most personality types, that if you try to diffuse it more with, let's just get back to the subject at hand, it actually is a lot easier than if you are trying to fight based on um, uh, some passionate argument versus fact-based argument.
0: Right. And and I'm going to throw in this little exercise because it totally saved me. When I had a difficult conversation with a potential investor who fit into this category and, and I of course, you know, it was getting emotional, but I'm like, I'm not going to cry. And you have something in your book where you say, think of your grocery list. And (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you, I mean, with all my meditation training, and that was what saved me. Like, you know, like I've done like 20 years of practice. And honestly, thinking of my grocery list was the most handy thing that I could have in my brain at the time. And it totally like diffused everything. So I just want to throw that out to the listeners. It's helpful.
1: That is so funny. I'm so glad that worked. I know it sounds so mundane, but I can literally like yourself remember being in situations where all I wanted to do was sort of to react in a way that was going to engage me more in a, a more emotional way. And when, really, when you're thinking about um, a gallon of milk, you know, <laughs> right. you know, a carton of eggs, I mean, it just sort of it, it just kind of it, 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 it takes your whole psyche and puts it someplace else, which is very grounding.
0: Yes, although I I was adding to the list. Bottle of wine, bar of chocolate, (laughs) Game of Thrones. (laughs) Okay, That's great. Um, So, okay, so your book is just funny, and I just love the approach. It makes a lot of heavy stuff light. But I'm curious to see if you have ever experienced what I call like a business dark night of the soul. And how did you get through it?
1: Oh, I, I definitely have um, on a on a couple of occasions, and I guess um, probably the best, uh, the more recent one to explain is is um, uh, most recently I was, and, and this is I guess I've been about eight or nine years ago now, but it's my probably most one of my darkest moments, and I guess if I could just frame up the situation. I was uh the president of Heinz in London and that was quite a prestigious job. I had a flat in Holland Park, which is in West Kensington, which is quite a wonderful place um, in uh, London, you know, was Heinz was one of the of uh, the more prestigious companies in London. So on on paper, you know, it really looked like I had you know probably about the one of the most amazing jobs a person could have. So, you know, I had a driver, and it was a huge business. And, you know, again, it was, uh, you know, quite prestigious, the second biggest uh, division at Heinz. And I um, would say, again, so if you look at your resume or you want to compare yourself to others, it would look like, you know, Jane Miller, president of Heinz, was a, you know, pretty knockout kind of person. But it was really hard for me because it was, uh, the job itself uh, was a very very high-pressure job, and uh, for a number of reasons. One, it was the second uh, biggest division of Heinz, and and that in and of itself is not a negative. I knew what I was signing up for. But while I was there, there was actually um, an activist investor had come after Heinz to uh, sort of change the scope of the board and kind of question some of the business results. And as such, the uh, senior management team based back in Pittsburgh really I would say was even more aggressive in terms of their uh, expectations for the presidents of the divisions. And it was interesting because again, a very prestigious job and and you'd expect it to be uh, a pressure filled situation. But for me personally, it it became so intense and so pressure oriented that I found myself um, literally it seemed like, and I'm sure this is an exaggeration, you know, years after the fact that, you know, Pittsburgh is a five hour time difference versus London. It it felt like every day we were doing some kind of conference call at five o'clock Pittsburgh time and 10 o'clock London time to talk about the business. And so it was one of those things where I just sort of dreaded and I literally would get off the phone, make a martini that would probably knock out a 300 pound man (laughs) um, and go to bed and wake up the next morning to sort of face the same thing. And and so the 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 dark thing for me was trying to to understand this trade-off between being what on paper and from a power standpoint was one of the most prestigious jobs I could ever have had relative to how I felt about the day to day of the job and how I felt about um me as a person. And so my kind of my kind of dark decision was and, and time was to say what was more important to me to be in an environment that uh, was more nurturing and more fulfilling for me or to be in an environment that everybody else would look at and say, Jane Miller totally rocks. (laughs) What a superstar she is. And in the end, I made the decision that I needed to uh, leave Hines and come back to the States and start my own um, consulting business, which I did for a short amount of time until I got pulled into a a team to uh, help hostess get out out of bankruptcy. But but it was really, I think, a, a critical point and, you know, kind of late in my career actually being only, you know, eight or nine years ago where I really had to question what looked like, you know, it was big money, big p- prestige relative to, do I like what I'm doing every day? And at the end of the day, I didn't. And so I had to kind of walk away from something that I think could have been much more lucrative and probably could have led to even bigger jobs should I have followed, followed that path. <laughs>
0: Well, it's so interesting because you are really a reflection of what's happening in corporations here today. And that's, you know, we all know how low the statistics are of women in, at the VP, let alone C-suite and at the board level of these larger corporations. And here you are extremely qualified. You're bringing a lot to the table and you just don't want the effing job. Right. Right? So it's like, exactly. what what can we do to like... Is there anything to be done instead of just walking away? I mean, I'm just like, run, right? But I also feel like let's, is there something that we can do through this conversation and integrating men, as you say, at some of these corporations so that we can change? I think the men are exhausted too. They have to be.
1: I think you're right. And that's so interesting because, you know, I'm one of these people that feel like I don't have regrets in my career that I just, you know, kind of learn from it and move on to the next thing. But I think in this situation, the thing that I should have done differently was to have a real dialogue with the senior management about how I felt and proactively say, what could you do to make this job better for me? Um, Because you don't want to lose someone with my background and talent. And I think I think maybe like a lot of women, instead of uh, being forthright and addressing what my issues were, I just quit. Right. and moved on and said, you know what, this just isn't for me. I'll find someplace else. So I, don't, I don't know that the result would have been different, but it might have been if I really would have had the dialogue and let them see what they were doing because they were kind of bullying me. And I don't know that they, I'm not sure if they actually in retrospect knew that they were doing that to me. <laughs> and I think that having that dialogue and trying to get more engaged and not so easily just sort of giving up and saying, hey, this just isn't the right spot. I think, I think that, is part of the solution as difficult as it sounds. And as I would say back then, I don't know that I was totally capable of having that honest discussion with senior management. But in retrospect, I wish I would have.
0: Yeah. What I'm seeing now is like, there's just more of a shift towards the energy of entrepreneurship. And maybe this is a good segue into what you're doing through the VC company you're working with and investing in women because it feels like a lot more women they're either becoming entrepreneurs and they're kind of carving their own when they can position within a corporation through honest dialogue if they're with a progressive company or they're leaving and they're creating their own gigs and they're starting companies and it's such a lucrative time right now for startups and even though you know the rates are still you know, against them succeeding. Uh, But I wonder if there's more of an opportunity in entrepreneurship for women and what your thoughts are on that, given that you are in a position right now investing in them.
1: Yes, I think that I think, again, your observation's right. I mean, I think there are a lot of women that just don't put up with the bullshit, you know, that sort of say, hey, I am just not gonna, I'm just not gonna do this. I have got an idea and I'm independent and I'm gonna go do something on my own. And so you do see, you know, vast numbers of, uh, new companies being started by women. Um and I think that that's only gonna continue. And there's, and again, the market, as you said, is, is pretty exciting right now because uh, with the economy being stronger, there's a lot of, um I guess sort of a lot of money to, to throw around in that direction. So I do think a lot of women are making that, decision to to go that direction i think though similar to being in big companies what we've got to be able to do is help those entrepreneurs um, be able to be more successful and support them in ways to make sure that that their businesses do rise that that i think that again like being in the corporation and not getting feedback i think this whole concept of nurturing and mentoring young companies and women are starting to be able to get them the network that they need to be able to be successful. I mean, I think you're very familiar with a group started here in Boulder called Merge Lane, Right. And Elizabeth and Sue are doing, you know, have just launched an accelerator uh, focused on eight different uh, women-led companies. And really with the idea being that they're not only putting money behind it, but they're putting this key thing called mentorship because so much of, I think, what young companies need are support in the areas that they're not so good at and being able to have access to that. So I do think it's a really exciting time now, and I think it's so important for women to not try to be the superhero. I mean, I think early in my career, um, in addition to trying to not just focus on my strengths, I also spent a lot of time trying to do it on my own as opposed to saying, you know what? I don't have all the answers and how do I build a network of people with complementary skills? And that's not a bad thing. I mean, asking for help is not a four letter word and trying to uh, um, really build uh, a network of people that can help support you and help fill in the gaps. And to me, this is probably the most exciting thing about being in Boulder today is that we have a community here that I think is so um, accepting and um, um, reinforcing and trying to figure out, how uh, young companies can be successful, and I don't know if, if you've seen that yourself with emerging women, but it's uh, oh, it's definitely. definitely something I've seen.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing it in Boulder. I'm also seeing it in other places too. It feels like the what Bradfeld calls the startup ecosystem is becoming more of a concept instead of oh, yeah, let's just, like, find the next Angry Birds, you know? Like, right,
1: <laughs> right, right, right. I right. mean, to me, it's like
0: all the money's going to Angry Birds, you know? <laughs> like, or, like, how is that helping or, the world be a better place, you know? Oh. Um,
1: <laughs> or did you see the Kickstarter campaign for exploding kittens?
0: Oh, my Lord. No, I didn't.
1: You should you should check that out. Our our listeners should too. It was a Kickstarter campaign that I think they were trying to raise initially. I don't know fifty thousand dollars, and I think they raised ten million. And it's a card game. Wow. Okay, that's how to raise money. I guess. I mean. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) um, Yeah,
0: but I think the whole idea of a startup having an ecosystem and having more of an extended community. It's like a hugely first of all feminine concept, I believe, than how things have been done in the past, where it's like, you know, you go it alone and pull yourself up and or you you know you get huge amounts of money and you don't even have any network and you just have a really good idea. but I, I really think that as we're moving into more relational marketing and more connection through the internet and even technology, they're calling it the age of connectivity. It feels right that, Women should, you know, be a a key part of this in a business expression, and certainly in the entrepreneurial expression, because we are naturally just so. That's how we get anything done is through community and relationships. And so I'm hoping that all of this stuff's going to coincide, and that women who are in the startup arena can build super strong networks, both with women and men, and that you know the VCs, which. You know, would be like something a position you're in, or even angel groups can start turning and moving the needle on this because I think the best I've heard so far with VC funding for women-owned businesses is 12 percent of the nation's VC funding goes to women-owned businesses, and it just seems awful low.
1: You know, I think it. I think it does, and I think you know part of the again, this is the the the, the soft skills dilemma. The how do you give feedback? How do you help? It isn't just their business idea, but it's how it's presented. I mean, I in my kind of research for the work we're doing here, um, I, I can't remember the source, source, I think it might have been Credit Suisse, but they literally said that the chances of if a man and a woman present the same thing the man has a 60% better chance of getting the deal than the woman with exactly the same deal. Right, And so I think that's so fascinating in terms of, again, from a mentorship standpoint. um, One of the things I'm really intrigued with is how do we help build the skills of some of these entrepreneurs so that they're in front of what looks like generally an all-white male VC group, how they're able to communicate in a way that hits – what they're looking for, um, and not um, not be um, kind of thrown out just not because of the idea, but because of the style of how they've handled the presentation.
0: Right. And I might add to that also, I think there needs to be some education on the VC level, since they're mostly men, against unconscious bias, and which is a very real implication when either hiring or you know, in looking for money or really for anything, judgments that we have that are unconscious—even well-intended people are having. You know, this is playing out, and I just wonder how much of that is playing into this as well.
1: Oh, I think that's right. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm actually on the board of the uh, University of Colorado Business School, and one of the professors there is actually a leader in uh, doing research on unconscious bias, mm-hmm. and it's really absolutely fascinating and shocking. Um, and it's not just unconscious bias that, you know, white guys have, all of us do. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, and and trying to uh, to understand what that is so that you can sort of eliminate it. It's almost like once it's brought to someone's attention, they don't do it again, but it right. needs to be brought to their attention. For sure.
0: Okay, well, last question here. You know, given all you've been through and what you're seeing as a mentor for millennials moving up and women in general, what would you say would be the one thing that they could focus on in order to increase their sense of personal power, but also influence in the world? See, I'm not like as interested in increasing numbers, but I'm very interested in using a lot of the trends of women gaining economic power and turning that not, into, you know, into like real influence. What can we all like sort of pay attention to? Or what? maybe it's not one thing, maybe it's a couple things, but what do you think would be the biggest bang for our buck there
1: well it's it's interesting because I think it's related to some of the other things that we were talking about, which is this concept of building community and networking, but at, adding a twist on that, which is is not doing it just because you need to, to get funding or you're starting a business. I think the, the the key piece of advice that I would give to millennials or you know, sort of any women that are listening on this call is. What are you doing to, to build your network and not with a I'm trying to get from point A to point B in terms of getting a job or I only want to be connected with somebody who's really amazing and powerful uh, because, you know, they're amazing and powerful. But instead sort of say how do you just continue to um, you know, really consciously trying to get to know more people, bring them into your world, try to understand um, how you can just make more and more connections without an agenda, to me, that is probably the biggest thing that any one of us can do yeah. is just to try to figure out how we create an ecosystem around ourselves. I used that word earlier, and I think it's a great one um, without an agenda and I think if we focused on that, I think to the, your point about how do we influence the more people that you that you know that can see the good work that you do that have had an opportunity to kind of touch lives like you and I. I mean, I'm so glad and feel so blessed that I am in your universe and I'm sort of on the periphery of, of what you're doing in the world. I mean, it's so incredible. And I, and I think just continuing to sort of reach out with people that maybe you wouldn't have had a, a natural connection with and not being afraid to uh, reach out to a Jane Miller as an example because I'm very accessible and, and I'm always interested in, in meeting new people and trying to, and, and to build my network too.
0: Awesome great well this has totally been a pleasure and i love the deep dive and thank you for all that you're doing to support women and i'm just really looking forward to knowing you more and more i feel lucky myself
1: well thank you uh, for the opportunity today i know i'm in really good uh, really prestigious company who've been on the podcast (laughs) in the past so i definitely uh i definitely I'm, i'm actually pulling the um pretty good about myself today so thank you great take care take care